Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense, Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History of Memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Slick Enterprises. And we're live from the Wally for Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats Magazine is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at GridironGreatsMagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Large. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires, Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, Captain, so good to be back, sir. Love it. Got my gridiron grates in the mail. So it's always a good day to see Swick Enterprises on the uh, upper left of an envelope. And uh, we got quite a few compliments on this issue, especially the front cover, which uh, showed the – Recent podcast guest that we have, John Sanchez, and his collection of McFarlands, were truly incredible, truly, truly incredible to see. Amazing, amazing pieces of work and artwork, and it's just uh, an incredible, incredible collection that he has. I'm curious how you picked, uh, how you came to come on that example of his McFarlands for the front cover. There were a, a couple others I really liked. One of Don Hudson. There, there were there were several that we we talked about. Well, we Jared, Brenda, and I basically talked about it, looking at some of the stuff that he had, and then I I normally hand Got off it. to Jared, and he co- he coordinates with the uh, whoever we're dealing with as far as their collection on the front cover. And for impact, looking at that cover, it me to me oh. it's just so striking to see it. I mean, oh, it's stunning. just, you know, it just epi- epitomizes football to me, what football really mm-hmm. is. You know, guys, in, in, you know, at one time who had to heat themselves with a, you know, uh, a, an oil can burning wood or whatever, paper, to see the <laughs> blood on the, the towels, to see the, the towels, snow, yep. just to see the elements, the elements yep. of, of that picture are just phenomenal to me. And it, it represents the game, the game where it used to be and the way it should be played. But, uh, Absolutely right. I, I, no, I, and... I, 
I, j- I just saw it when Jared came back with it, and I, and I knew right away that was it. And it, and it was one of our few covers we had no type on it other than the the masthead. Yeah. So uh, it was. Yeah. It was uh, no, and it was. Uh, it made my final top five favorites when we were talking. You know, uh, it, it, and like you said, it's stunning. It's just it's good. I was just more the process, not questioning. You know, the, you know Jared and you know and you and Brenda. It's. Uh, it was just more the process of how that's decided. So, so it's pretty interesting. I'm sure a lot of listeners, I'm sure a lot of readers, you know, don't know what goes behind the scenes, you know, and, uh, you know, the compound in Wallingford, you know, how to, you know, what it takes to put a, a magazine like that together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, you know, really thinking about before we actually start presenting it and the, and the layout of it at the same time. So Brenda and I normally will just, you know, you know, we'll rough it out. We'll talk about it, and she makes her suggestions. I make mine, and then Jared's involved with it at the same time, also trying to see, you know, what uh, what we really want in the cover. I've driven him crazy sometimes. Uh, no lie, he's done five, six revisions on covers to see uh, <laughs> until we finally get, finally got something that we, you know, I really thought it was it would be good, and uh, this one was was first. First one out, spot on. I, I, I just, we all said we, we loved it, and that was it. So it was very good, very good. Well, last time we had our show, which was the beginning of March, I'm sorry, middle of March, we were talking yep. about an incredible uh, Tom Brady rookie card that was in Leland's auction, the 2000 Playoff Contenders Champion Rookie Ticket Card, number 144, uh, graded by Beckett at an 8.5 autograph copy, 99 of number of 100 made. The card sold for two million two hundred fifty-two thousand eight hundred fifty-five dollars. An incredible, incredible price for a football card. Joe, your comments and thoughts. You about summed it up there, Kevin. But I'm about to blow your mind. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, spring of 2020, spring of 2021, Leland sold the uh, 2000 playoff contender Brady Championship rookie card. Like you said, stunning two million two hundred fifty-two thousand, and let's just round it up two million two hundred fifty-three thousand dollars for a football card. Not by a little, but by a lot. If, if you, if I had to ask you right now, what is the most expensive football card, and you didn't know about this this uh, Brady card, what would you say? Good question. I would have probably say a 35 Chickle Nag or um, maybe uh, a Spalding Chalk, a Spalding card. I don't know. I really don't know. If the Bronc, 35 Chickle Bronc and Nagurski, there's one of them in a PSA 9. If that came okay. up for auction right now, what would it go for? And also recognize that about a year and a half, what was it, two years ago, a PSA, the sole PSA 8.5 came up, and it sold for about 170000 that was, you know, pretty wow. big sports rush. So, what would the what would the Chickle Nine go for right now? Do you think, Captain? I would uh, have the half a, million, half a million. Okay. Easy. Half a million easy. I would agree. Two years ago, okay. it probably would have been three fifty four hundred. What if a you know a sixty five tops Joe Namath PSA ten came to the hobby and came up for sale. What do you think that would go for? That should be close to a million, in my opinion. Okay. Pretty close. Yep, I would agree. So if you think about our iconic football cards, the Nagurski 9, the Namath, or the, the Bronco 35 Chickle Nagurski, the 65 Namath, the 77 Largent, I mean, all iconic cards. And, yes, I slipped my Largent card in there. You know, it, none of them. I mean, the name of 10, which doesn't exist, you know, I think there's three name of nines, uh, would fetch a million. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, uh, I mean, maybe a 33 Sports King, you know, Thorpe 10. I mean, there, there's nothing. So, I mean, then there's this chasm between Nagurski 9, a one-of-a-kind, you know, 90-year-old card, and a card that's 20 years old that there are 100 of uh, that's uh, out there. So for the uh, – so and just to, just to clarify for you, there are two types 
of Brady 2000 playoff contenders rookie cards. There's the standard 2000 playoff contender rookie ticket, which is kind of this goldish ticket. Uh, it, you know, it looks a little golden. And then there's the 2000 playoff contenders championship rookie ticket. And the difference between them is the championship one is silver and sil- silver in color and has the word championship written on it. The other one does not. There's about a hundred of those made. Not two point three million. Ones? Correct. Okay. All right. So All right. the first ones are just called the rookie ticket, and the other ones are called the champion rookie tickets. There's about a thousand rookie tickets, and there's about a hundred championship rookie tickets. So the championship rookie ticket that sold in Leland's for two point two five three million was uh, eight point five Beckett autograph nine. There is currently in Heritage a 2000 Playoff Contenders Championship rookie ticket that is a 8.5 by Beckett and a 10 autograph, a pristine Oops. autograph. And this is before Tom Brady really had a good autograph. He, and he had to sit down and write down 100 autographs. If he had autographs 100 things, it'd, it'd get a little sloppy. I, I can't tell this mm-hmm. is Tom Brady's rookie card. So how the hell do you tell the difference between a 9 and a 10? I'm looking at them both side by side right now, and they're – They're both pretty sloppy. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is currently hovering at the low, low price of 887,500 with about eight days to go in bidding. So still time for you to get your bid in, Captain. So it could be, could be, it could be the 2.252 million could beat it because of the nine to 10. Yep. Are we, are we going to nine? And this is a ten autograph. You're correct. So what would so we get we we have to just try to put this in perspective. A numerical <laughs> grade of one greater, which now clarifies that the card is the best card over the two point two five two million one. What could it actually go for? A real lot more, <laughs> a little more. You know what happens if it bombs and doesn't go for it doesn't oh, break wow. two million. Good point, and I, I think you and I can both agree that we're in the uh, you know the school of old thought where we're 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 looking at this shaking our head saying get the hell off our lawn. I have no idea what this could go for, Bob. Exactly. Uh, I, I I have no idea that you know this championship rookie would go for two point two five three million. Uh, I right. just have no idea. So right. Right. it's. Uh, Pretty, pretty interesting. So, uh, it'll be so a will a mate. record. Uh, you know, somebody was an underbidder on that two point two five three million. They missed out, and now along, you know, and then a month later comes one that's a little bit higher grade. Are there any Beckett tens on this? Or excuse me, like you know, instead of eight point five, is there any Beckett's that are a ten and a ten? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, get a ten for the card and a ten for the autograph. That could go for five million. Then I don't know. Pick a number out of the sky. <laughs> and and I'm wondering now too. I'm wondering now too. Whoever bought that card, I wonder if they're going to try to buy this one too. That'll be interesting to see because it's obviously deep deep pockets are buying it so. They probably have another spare two, three million laying around, and then they're going to uh, buy that too. You know, unbelievable, unbelievable. No, it's pretty. It doesn't make sense, and it does make sense. That's the way. That's all I can say. You know, it makes sense in the respect that somebody, modern day player Brady, you know, the man is probably going to go down as one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback who ever lived. Might as well get his most rarest his his most rare rookie card of all the ones that were printed you know what i mean so you know that that's the investment they're looking at will it will will the market tank who knows i have no idea but i would say that i would say that i would be more comfortable buying that nag in in a psa (laughs) nine than i would be the brady card you know what i mean yeah so truly truly Hundred of these, hundred of them, and yep. two, I mean, oh my gosh, it's just yeah, like a 
like I said, uh, oh, oh well, teach their own way. At the end of the day, we all collect pictures of men in tights on cardboard. I mean, I'm not going to wag my finger at anyone. <laughs> I, uh, you know, here I am going, you know, you know, you and I just rattled off a couple pretty high-end established cards. I mean, Brady's obviously established. He's going down in history as, yeah. as the GOAT. I mean, unless he, unless he pulls an O.J. Simpson. You know, yep. you know, yep. which yep. you know, then he's he's the greatest. So, but uh, eh, kind of interesting. Oh well, oh well. So I guess we could take some bets next time we have a show. Uh, th- this will be uh, this auction will have ended. Like I said, currently hovering yep. at eight hundred and eighty-seven thousand five hundred. Uh, also, in this same auction is a, a lowly you know contender ticket. You know, not the championship, but just a regular old. Run of the mill contender ticket, Bob. Uh, it's at forty thousand right now. So if you just, if you wow. wanted one of the cheap knockoffs, you know, I mean, nothing beats owning the championship ticket. But I mean, I guess right. you could, you know, always the bridesmaid. You know, pick yourself up just a playoff contender rookie ticket, and uh, you know, I'm 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 satisfied with my Tom Brady Tom Brady rookie card that I have in whatever year tops it was, two thousand or two thousand one. That's about as close yeah. as I'm going to get to anything here with that. You know what I mean? So, well, I mean, SP, is that forever? His SP authentic card, you know, numbered to 1250 has been, you know, the, the standard of his rookie card. I mean, right, right. you know, that, that's the one that was in the registry, the PSA registry. That's the one that was the big seller. Uh, I mean, and, uh, you know, in the last you know, year and a half, two years, this, this playoff contender, one has come. I mean, there's a box. There's an unopened wax box in Heritage as well of 2,000 playoff contender. That's you know hovering around 15, 16,000 right now, with eight days to go. It's about a 25,000 dollar box. I mean, wow, that's unbelievable. Who knows how many? Who knows how many championship tickets and who knows how many just regular rookie tickets are left out there that haven't right. accounted for. But right. oh, the modern football card era. Bob. Well, as I oh, say, wow. all, as I say, I say all along. To me, it's just a blur because as when '92 hit, there was no way I could keep up with everything. I, I I started losing track of what was actually being produced, when, how, series-wise, so on and so forth. So it became for a lot of collectors, you know, hit or miss as far as what they bought and what they didn't buy. And that's it. You yes. know what I mean? And uh, a lot of a lot of long-time collectors just didn't have the money and didn't have the funds to just keep buying set after set after set up by 50, 60 yeah, sets yeah. of cards every year. You know, totally. it's not logical. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. All right, we'll check totally. out. We'll check it out in a future show. We'll see how much <laughs> those that card, the actually the two cards and the uh, wax box goes for should be fascinating to see but at this time there's, I, guess there's a new... I, oh, I want to introduce them to our show our special guest tonight was selected by visa in 2000 as the san francisco 49ers number one all-time fan and has been honored with a plaque that now hangs in the pro football hall of fame he has one of the largest collections of 49ers, memorabilia and publications in the country. He's also a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, and he's author of several books on the 49ers. To me, he is and represents the 49ers. I'd like to welcome a good friend of Gridiron Greats Magazine and a person who's been on the show before, Mr. Martin Jacobs. Martin! Welcome How are you, Bob? I'm good. How are you? Good. How are you doing? All right. Looking How's forward to your call. Good. 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 <laughs> All right. We're going to lead off. I'm doing good as well, Martin. Thank you for asking. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've been uh, anxiously waiting to talk to you, get updated on what's going on. Yeah. All right, Martin, I want to lead off. Uh, I, I know you never get tired of the story. Tell us how you became a fan of the San Francisco 49ers. 
Well, more or less, uh, it, it should be how I became an obsession with the 49ers. Yeah. Uh, I don't call myself a fan anymore. I've outgrown that. What, what happened was, uh, how it all started, I was um, I was nine years old, and I didn't know a forward pass from a lateral and didn't know anything about football. My father took me to a 49ers game at Kizar Stadium, and we sat in the end zone, and in the end zone is where the 49ers come out through a tunnel under the stadium onto the stadium, and they're introduced one by one. So as I was sitting in the end zone, I decided to go down to the front row where I could lean over the railing and see the players as they come onto the field. And there were all these young girls standing around and, and with their arms reached out as the players came out one by one. So when they introduced Hugh McElhaney, he was the only one who wasn't wearing a helmet. And he had long black hair. He's handsome looking. He looked like a movie star. And all these girls were going, Hugh, 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 you know, and they're trying to touch him and everything. So I just, they went onto the field, and, and I didn't think more about it. Went back, took my seat, and I was bored as hell at the game. You know, I was watching the pigeons come down and the seagulls taking the hot dog wrappers. <laughs> I could care less about the game. But my dad... In the third quarter, he gave me his binoculars, and he said, I want you to look at number 39, and that he was a rookie with the team, and this would be his first game playing. Well, this is the truth, Bob. When I looked through this uh, uh, binoculars, and he broke on his first play for a touchdown, I think a 44-yard run to the end zone, but he zigged and he zagged, and he, he, he went against the grain. He cut back, and from that moment on, from that very moment on, I was hooked. I was hooked. Uh, I mean, I came home after we won the game. I came home the, the following day. I bought the newspapers, cut out the articles, made scrapbooks. I was a Hugh McElhaney fan. And I sort of emulated him all through my life because what I saw him do on the football field I attributed it to my success in the sporting good business because I felt Ooh. if McElhaney could do it, I could do it. And that's how I got started. Wow. Yeah, and then, and of okay. course, I, I, I never missed a play that Hugh McElhaney play any game. I went to Keysar every home game. I watched the away games on TV. And then when I became 13, I became a vendor at Keysar Stadium. And the main reason I did that wasn't to have a job, is that I wanted to continue to watch the McElhaney play. So in between selling the peanuts, the hot dogs, the sodas, and eventually uh, hot uh, souvenirs, I would bend down between plays so I'd see if McElhaney carried the ball. And uh, uh, I did that for 13 years. So I continued being a McElhaney fan, collecting everything I could McElhaney. I get to the games early to watch him warm up, but I never met, I never met uh, the king. And it, ironically, in 1954, after a game, I went to the parking lot and I had to wait till all these young girls finished getting their autographs. And then when I finally got to Hugh, he said, uh, not now, kid. And oh. I said, what? He says, another time. And oh, I was very no. disappointed. <laughs> I was disappointed. So I so the following wow. season, I I finally got to Mac, and I and I got his autograph, and I said, "Remember me? You told me not now, kid." And so I I waited a whole season, and I came out here early to get. To, so on top of getting his autograph, he gave me his his jersey from 1955, because this is a year later after I got rejected by him. So. Over the years, uh, I just became a fanatic, and uh, in fact, I, I just read the Gridiron Greats where a collector mentioned, don't let collecting interfere with your family, but, but it did, and my daughter even said to me, I have five children, and she says, you know, Dad, the problem with you is your priorities are out of order. She said, you oh. put the 49ers first, and oh. I didn't argue with her. I do. And in fact, I've had two divorces. The first divorce said, I, my first wife said, I love uh, the 49ers more than her. And the second wife said, you loved Hugh McElhaney more than her. 
and, and I and I try I tried to explain to them that how different it was, but it's the, the honest to God truth that I I I was uh, obsessed with Hugh McElhaney, and now we're good friends. It took years and years. Uh, I met him at a collector show, and I told him how I followed him all these years, and we became very good friends. And we talk about once a week. Uh, he lives oh, wow. in. in in Henderson, Nevada. Wow. So that's the sto- that's the story on McElhaney as far as uh, how how I got started as a 49er fan. So that obsession's been I'm 78 now, and it started when I was nine years old. So it's almost 70 years. That's wow. great. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> Martin Joe uh, Joe here. I I have always loved the articles you write for Gridiron. You had one probably, you know, six, 12 months ago where you were describing, you know, walking up and down the aisles, uh, you know, the stairways and, uh, you know, and, you know, selling, you know, how you would, you know, how you would sell quicker than other people. I, I could almost smell the game just by your description. It was so well written. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan, yeah. Joe. I just, I, I, I love McElhaney, but I do collect all the 49ers, but I, I, I yeah. stopped collecting. I'd say about um, I I I don't mean I don't collect anymore, but I stopped collecting around 1960s, the 50, the 40s, the 50s, and 60s because it seemed when I got into the 70s and close to the 80s, and all of a sudden, uh, when I had my sporting goods stores, uh, actually they were pro team shops selling pro merchandise uh they started charging players started charging for autographs and and the prices were going up and i just didn't my my, it kind of took away that freedom i once had getting free autographs and uh i i got discouraged a little bit but i've always been a fan i've been a fan uh more a dedicated fan in fact john york the owner of the 49ers said to me we were i was once in the suite and he said you know, he really amazed me. He says, I've talked to very few people that have been able to do just what they've wanted to do their whole life. And my whole life has revolved around the 49ers. In fact, when the season ends and I have to wait that six months for the season to start again, it's the most boring time in my life for me. And uh, I managed to keep busy, you know, doing books and things, but uh, I can't wait for football. I can't wait for the draft tomorrow. I can't wait to oh. get back in the action. Ditto. Well, yeah. like I said, I've always been an admirer, Martin. Just I, I love your articles, and I, I just love your passion, your your advertisements, and Gridiron Greats for you know anything 49ers has been a stalwart, you know, on that you know the magazine for as long as I can remember. But, um, you know, you kind of touched on a minute ago. You, you know, you kind of stopped collecting, but you have an incredible you know collection of 49ers items. Can you tell our audience? What's oh, I have I have some work? great great items. I have uh, again, it's, it's mainly 49ers. I have every, I have every program. I have six albums of photos. Uh, I've accumulated mainly when before Josh Evans passed away from Leland's. I bought a collection mm-hmm. of uh, of uh, original 49er photos, and I have about seven albums of, of of photos. And that's why when I do these articles for the Gridiron Greats, I have such a library of photos that I can just pull one out. And same when I do these books. And uh, but my favorite items that I have, because I know that was one of the questions, um, uh, two of them are footballs. One is a, a Christopher Milk football. Now, what those were, during halftimes at Kizar Stadium, they'd auction off an autographed football. And I was one of the lucky ones to to win one back in about 1955 when they had the million-dollar backfield. And uh, that football still in its original box. I have no idea what the value is because I don't collect for uh, for the values. I collect because of the love of the passion, you know, of, of collecting. And then the second ball I have is a one that McElhaney caught a winning touchdown in 1957 that propelled us into the playoffs against the Detroit Lions. In fact, White Tittle got hurt with about uh, 40 seconds left in the game. They brought in John Brody, a rookie from Stanford, who hadn't thrown a pass yet for the 49ers, and he Pretty threw a pass to McElhaney in the corner of the end zone. And I have the game ball that I got from McElhaney, and that's uh, one of my treasured items. 
And how did, how did you get this, that from us? If, if you don't oh, well, we I became friends. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've learned one thing through life is uh, to befriend the important people, people that, you know, know people. In fact, my success that I've had in gaining all my collectibles is not that I actually win them in the auction, is that I know the uh, people putting on the auctions or the collectors, and everything is word of mouth, and that's how I developed over the years, finding things. In fact, I think in the country, of all the auction houses, they know when they get something from the 50s, 49ers, I'll I'll get a jingle from them. They'll call me, they'll email me. And uh, that's how I find things. I'm constantly uh, making friends with the fans over social media, Facebook, um, anywhere I can. But again, my heart is with the 50s, uh, the 49ers. And uh, that's about how, I, how it all started and still is. I'm 78. My, my, I, think, I think my mind is probably back when I was 13, but the body feels like 100. And I got a lot of aches and pains from playing football in high school. And the thing about it is, in high school, I emulated McElhaney, and I think I got benched more than I did started a game because I always felt if they would call a line plunge and I could do an 88 loop like McElhaney did and run around the end, I said, I'm going to do that. And the coach would always always get on my tail <laughs> for not follow, following the rules. But that's what McElhaney did. He was a kind of a free spirit running back. He just did what he felt he could do, and, and uh, he took a lot of criticism for that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I think you was able to see. He had a to me had a vision for the for defense, seeing the defense. So he figured in his own mind what he could do against that type of defense. So to me, he read defenses well before players actually read them or understood them. You know what I mean? Well, well, and he looked downfield. What, what Mac told me is he, when he got the ball, he surveyed the defense. He looked downfield. He never was one like to hit the hole, put my head down, and plunge ahead like they do today. He would yeah, keep his yeah. head up, and he, he would survey, and, he, 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 and that's what he did, and that's what made him unusual. What people don't realize about McElhaney is that he had to compete with, with – with a backfield made up of Hall of Famers, Joe Perry, oh, yeah. in the Hall of Fame, John Henry Johnson, Hall of Fame, Magalini Hall of Fame, Tittle. So he didn't get the carries like a lot of players get today. So if you're going by statistics with McElhaney, he even though when he retired he he had the third most yardage, 16,000 yards at the time in 1964, but he didn't have as many carries as he could have had if he was the main man in the backfield. So he had to share the load with uh, Hall of Famers. And But I still think he's the, he's the greatest of all time, and I've compared him to Sayers, John Arnett, all of them. I've seen them all play, but nobody. When McElhaney got the ball, he was strictly on his own. He just went for the open field, and he was amazing, just amazing. Hmm. Definitely, definitely. But now, Martin, I couldn't do his book. Uh, I, I, I didn't do his book, though, till till I had enough information on him. And though I was uh, close friends with him, he, he's very quiet and and very unassuming. Doesn't he's so modest? And he and if I say anything about running the football, he'll laugh and he'll oh, it's no big thing. I just did what I did naturally. I just didn't want to get hit, and I and, and I stayed away from from the defenders. And as simple as that. So uh, to make the book, I had to have help from his two daughters, Susan and Karen, and a ton of information and stats and things that I had. So it took me a long years, uh, many years, to make that McElhaney book. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just got, I just got finished reading it, and I got to say, Martin, it's a great book, and I loved the photos in it, and I, and I knew knew right away that a lot of those photos were yours from your your private collection, so that really added to the book's uh, you know depth and and the historical value of the book, and, and there there were quite a few things I I had never knew about him, but I knew you uh, you were able to bring them out, especially. His college career. I really didn't know that much about his his college career. Can you can you? Uh, well, I had to, I had to do. 
Yeah, I had to do quite a bit of research on that because, again, McElhaney either, you know, he's 92 now and he's the fourth living Hall of Famer and he doesn't um, remember a lot. So I had to go through his daughter. I got a lot of uh, help from the University of Washington. But uh, he was... Uh, he was going he had letters from 60 colleges to go to and he chose Washington University of Washington because uh you could say under the table they supported him they they paid his rent um they gave his wife then Peggy a job uh they gave him a car he had uh, about 30,000 in the bank there he says he said that uh, he couldn't afford to go pro because he was making so much money in college. <laughs> so, so when he signed with the 49ers, he got he asked for 30 and they gave him seven. And then he thought, well, I'll go play in the Canadian League. And he said that uh, he settled for the seven because his wife was pregnant with their first child. And so he says, we better just take the seven. So McElhaney had to take a cut and pay to play pro football. To go football. play professional. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy, though. He he's very humble. If you, if you ever see his speech on YouTube of his Hall of Fame speech, he can't even get the words out of his mouth. He's just a very humble, gracious person. And uh, but the Forty ers were hesitant to draft him because he um, he had a reputation of being a ladies' man and and uh, not liking to practice. And Macalini was. Uh, was uh, a prima donna he thought he you know he knew he was good and he acted like it in fact when he got to the Niners he didn't want to block so the 49ers didn't block for him and then McElhaney got upset and then they had a, a good talking and then then they became close again where they started blocking for McElhaney but he had a little attitude there hmm. wow. but anyway that that's how that came about <laughs> How long did it take you to write that book? About a year? Well, you want to know the truth, at least 50 years, because I started <laughs> way, way back when I was a kid, and I couldn't finish it because I needed more information, and and uh, and I, I built up enough stuff where I got enough quotes from players, and, uh, and, um, and now they're all gone. You know, most of those 50 guys was uh, have passed away, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a little harder to get the information, so that's why the book took so long. But to me, that's the pinnacle. I've, I, and I'll tell you something, Bob. I did this to give back to the 49ers and Hugh McElhaney. That was my main purpose of this book because they brought me so much pleasure through the years. And I thought by doing this book, and McElhaney himself told me that I've extended his life. And he said, you'll make my kids happy. I'll have something to remember me by. And my feeling is if I sold one book or I didn't sell any book, it wouldn't make a difference. I wanted to do this book because it's me. I was giving back to my hero. And I felt real good about it. That's incredible. That's great. That's great and I'm glad you enjoyed the again, book because... I put a, I put a, a lot of effort into it a, a lot and uh, it's uh, it's selling right now on Amazon and it's selling on eBay and I have it in the bookstores so pretty soon it'll be available to anybody who wants to read about the king because he is the king. It's great. Wow. It's great. Yeah, and Bob, do you know? Do you remember how he got the name the king? That was given uh, to him by so Frankie Albert. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tell our audience what uh, his how we how we got it again. Well, he he played in the second game against the uh, was against the Chicago Bears, and George Hallis said that he never seen a a, a a running back in in all, his whole life of coaching as great as McElhaney. So McElhaney had three touchdowns called back. He scored a couple and he ran a punt back 94 yards in Chicago. And uh, everybody was raving about McElhaney. And when they got in the locker room, Albert tossed him the ball, the game ball, and said, you're now the king, the king of the running back. Yep. So yep. that name stuck with <laughs> McElhaney all these years. That's, well, that's great. Yeah. Mark, yeah. you've, you've name-dropped quite a few things here. I mean, you're, talk, you know, you're talking about your story when you were a kid, meeting, you know, meeting McElhaney and you know, the York family. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, the books you've written about, you know, Kazar Stadium and the, just the, you know, all of the legends of 49ers, you know, 
you, you've got to have some stories. I mean, you know, you know, meeting family members, meeting pro players, the, the owners of the 49ers. Can you, you know, tell us, you know, maybe. Yeah, that, that's something that uh, I could talk for hours because I have so many stories. I could do so many different books, you know. You know, but I do love collecting. That's what I do in between the games and, and everything. I'm always, I'm always researching. And in fact, I was just listening to the first part of your segment about the collecting of cards. And I tell you, I just feel such an injustice here uh, when I hear the prices that, that you're both talking about because um, – uh, I know the interest in the banks aren't very high and people are investing in cards and things, but I just think it's just crazy, the money, the yeah. millions. Uh, I just can't comprehend that because I don't believe it. In fact, in fact, uh, I just can't see this keeping up. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know, you're talking millions and for this card, and I collected cards for years, and, you know, they made some money or they went up, but, my God, what they're getting for the players is, is ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's what Bob and I are talking about. We, and sometimes I feel a little old, you know, I get off my damn porch, but it's uh, I, some of it stuns me, so... And I really think it's probably 3% of the population, that the people who have the millions of dollars that can spend on on these kind of cards because, you know, I have rookie cards of the guys from the 50s and, and such, and I think McElhinney needs about $1,000 for a for a, 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 an eight or nine graded card. But the, the, the millions for cards, uh, it just... Yeah. You know, they're no, not 100 please. years old. These are guys like Tom Brady and Mahomes are playing now. I, I just think it's not going to last. It just scares the hell out of me because I got a son who's investing in the cards heavily, and I just I hope he gets in and gets out because I just don't see it keeping up. I just don't. We, we keep wondering the same thing. So well, I'm, I'm sure our listeners are tired of hearing Bob and I sitting on the porch, the front porch, talking about cards. So yeah, it's scary. Tell us about it's, some of your Tell us about some, some of your cool, fun stories. Please. Yeah, yeah. But uh, are there any other questions you have for me? Because uh, I get carried away, and I could just talk for hours about the, the, about the players <laughs> and the teams. I'd, I'd ask you about some interesting stories. I mean, you mentioned you were in the skybox with the York family. I mean, how does yeah, that I get I get invited there occasionally. You know, I got there when I was the fan of the year. And it's funny, when when Visa called me, and said that I won the contest because I submitted an essay. My first words were, it didn't surprise me. I kind of felt I was going to win. Because the truth of it is, <laughs> not only was I a vendor at the, at, the, at the stadium, but after I finished vending, I said to my dad, what should I do now? I'm getting a little old to be doing this. He said, well, why don't you open up team shops and sell the stuff? You know where it comes from. And I did that for 35 years. And then when I retired from the uh, sports business, again, I asked my dad. I said, Dad, what now? What should I do? He said, why don't you write books? You know how to write. You did writing in school. So I said, yeah, I'll do books. So I've done nine books so far. And four of them are 49er books. And uh, yeah. I, I could do yeah, a, a couple deal. more. <laughs> yeah. So you were in the York, I mean, you know, just of the books you've written. I mean, just you are the – I mean, you know, when you meet the Yorks, are they like, wow, you know, you know more about the team, the team history than, than you know, than they do. You were schlupping, you know, you know, pops, you know, miles. Yeah, you know, that's, that's the thing. One thing that bothers me is that they don't, they don't appreciate the old guys. They, you know, everything is today. Even the kids today, it's about today and their phones and whatever. But when you start talking about the old players that, that made the franchise, they kind of lost. They're, they're forgotten. Yep, yep. So by me doing this and keep talking about McElhinney and, and the Keysar and all, at least for 49er fans, they're making them aware there was there was these other players. And, and that really uh, makes me feel good, and I like hearing from the fans. And um, that's my life. That's my life. Damn, so, damn good. Do you, do you have, 
I might want I want to mention one th- mention one thing. I did pick up a neat collectible, uh, a Joe Arenas football jersey. Now, what's special about Joe Arenas, who used to run punts back and kickoffs for the 49ers in the 50s, he was at, in World War II at Iwo Jima. He got shot twice through the back, twice through the back. The second shot, they said, would paralyze him from the neck down. He came out of the war, made it back got rehealed and made the 49er team in 1952 and he played till I think about 1959 and he was our punt return and kickoff and I got it I I I finally found his jersey from a relative but to me that's very special wow. because he was he was a real at Iwo Jima which is and I visited that island once in the Pacific so um I really appreciate that shirt wow what a but there's all Ooh. kinds of other stuff. I mean, I could talk for hours about it, and I know your show is limited in time, but uh, any questions <laughs> you ever have about the old 49ers, just let me know, and I'll get you an answer. Now, Byron, did you, did, do you have a favorite 49ers game you attended over the years, that, the one that stands out more than anything else? Well, the one that stands out more than anything else is the most disappointing game that they had and that was against Detroit in in uh, 1957 and the reason that is so disappointing is that we beat Detroit uh, just a few weeks before and and we were leading them 27 to 7 27 to 3 at halftime and we were they printed up tickets at halftime for the championship game against the Cleveland Browns we were all thinking we we're gonna we we're going to the championship, and Detroit came back. And not only did they come back, but Bobby Lane, their quarterback, got hurt. Tobin Rote came in, and we thought, wow, with a backup quarterback, for sure we're gonna win. And he threw like four touchdowns, and they kicked field goal. They came back and won the game. But that was that was the one that comes to my mind first, the most disappointing loss. And it's well, David. What was your favorite game? Why is that one of your favorite games then? Uh, it was a favorite game because it, uh, it was such a high when when we thought we were going to the championship, and then all of a sudden it was a loss. So I would say it was the most emotional game, and and I I would say if you want a game that I really loved that we won was against the Baltimore Colts the same year when McElhinney caught the winning catch. But, of course, I'm limiting myself to the 50s, which we've never won a championship, or the 40s. Uh, so it's not like the 80s where we had, you know, five Super Bowls in the 80s and 90s. But when you talk about the old 49ers, there wasn't that many great games or great players. But yeah. uh, we didn't, we didn't, we never won a championship. Yeah. You know, you just mentioned the 80s. I'm a – I am – you know, I, I, I was born in 1970s. I mean, I I was I've been watching football since you know I was seven. I think my first football game was the Super Bowl, the Cowboys and the Steelers. So I mean, I I grew up watching the 49ers dominate, and I just became a you know a closeted 49er fan. I mean, I'm, by by birth I'm a Seahawk fan, but I always had a special place in my heart for the 49ers of the 80s, the the Jerry Rice, the Joe Montanas, you know, oh, yeah. Dwight Clark, you know. You know, Craig, et cetera. It's just, you know, just incredible. Um, you know, oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, I was just going to ask. I mean, uh, you know, when you when you when you sit down to write your books, how do you how do you pick your topics? I mean, obviously, most of them involve around the, you know the Forty Nineers. But I noticed you wrote one about the, the San Francisco Seals. Uh, you know, how do you how do you pick your topic? And I mean, you know, well, some easier than others. Uh, mainly, I pick my topic, which I'm most emotionally connected to. Uh, when I worked at the Seals Stadium, that when the Seals were here before the New York Giants moved to San Francisco, uh, I had a lot of experiences with the Seals. And even though I'm, I'm a 49er fanatic, I'm actually a real sports fanatic. I love basketball, the Warriors. I love the baseball. I watch that. So I watch other sports, too, and I have a, a knowledge of it. So I'll pick, uh, when I do a book, I pick it mainly it's something I want to do. Like, 
when I was writing, I was a journalist for the 49ers. Uh, I wrote a column called The Collector, and it, it ran from 2000 to 2006. And uh, every issue, home game, I was in the magazine called Pro. Well, I did that because I love to do it. So the, the way I pick my uh, subjects is, is something I'm emotionally involved with. And that's what I do, and I'm involved with the 50s mainly because so, for so many reasons, and uh, that's how I pick my books. If I have to write a book on the 80s and 90s, there's maybe 50 books on the bookshelf. So I, I write that something that people haven't read about or, uh, you know, it's a combination of things, you know, but mainly something I like. Yeah. To me, it's very important maintaining the history. The history of the game so you know yeah. you're right there are 50 books about the 80s and 90s you know yeah. um the the new the new century so on and so forth but there's really not a lot written anymore about the older game you know with the exception of like chris willis writing his books and a, and a few other authors yes it's just not a lot absolutely yeah well what i'm what i'm finding bob and joe is that uh those those players are dying off every week, you know, and and uh, yeah. it, it's not like the information is there, but the the fans care about the players today, and and uh, it's getting slimmer and slimmer the market uh, for writing these things and even collecting it. I'll go maybe four months before I'll pick up an item that I need, uh, like a ticket stub. I have all the programs from 1946. And I may be missing like six ticket stubs, so I'm always—it's a small little item, but I, I'm, I try to complete the collection. Yeah. Whether it's Christmas cards or or uh, pocket schedules, I try to have one for each year or, or uh, something I might yeah. not have. But it's getting slimmer now. It's not—it's getting a little harder. Well, Martin, if you're looking for ideas, you can take that white hot laser-focused, you know, writing prowess you have and write on another you know, 70 and 80s football icon, Seahawk great Steve Largent. Yeah. Oh, Steve Largent. <laughs> he was a yeah. great one. Great, great player. Absolutely. I mean, if you're looking for ideas, you want you might want to beat Chris Willis to that, though. I think he's uh, lining it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it was B-49ers in Keysar Stadium. See, I live only about a quarter mile from Keysar Stadium, so that's like it was like oh. my second home. Oh, so, man. You know, I was able wow. to go there all the time. And I ran track, so I got to run track there. And so it was like, you know, I, I just know every cranny of Kizar Stadium. And uh, it was a great place to watch a game. No place to park in San Francisco. You had to park in Golden Gate Park when you went to a 49er game. It was crazy. But now everything's yeah, different. Like, that was just like the old Yankee Stadium. There was never any parking there whatsoever. People would just park on the streets, and, and uh, as the neighborhood got bad, they knew they had to do something because uh, there was absolutely no parking. So, so they rebuilt the stadium, and then they actually added some parking for a change. And yeah, it, uh, but, made it more up to date. Yeah, that's a Martin, regret I have is not going to Yankee Stadium. I never yeah, got to see a game there. Yeah. You didn't miss much. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, I've been to all the NFL stadiums. I've been around to see all the stadiums. I used to fly mm-hmm. with the the players to the games, and uh, but like I said, befriending the players was the best best way to do it. You know, uh, one tells the other, and before you know it, uh, I find like I just got John Brody's jersey. We got, uh, I knew Sue Brody, his wife. She talked to John, and I got his jersey. So, you see, it's just who you know in the, in this uh, in this market, at least for the collecting. Yeah. And that's but the something prices, that really, really uh, happens today. And it, you can't be friends with the, the newer players because, uh, you know, they're so you can't protected. Even, you they, can't even get to them. Try to get to them. Right. you got to pay pay a fortune for an autograph and you can't even, you know it's not like the old days we could run on the field and walk off the field with paul horning or gail sayers and and yeah. uh yeah. you know you could bond with the players and i sure miss that that's just something uh most of the time i watch games on tv you know i just don't go to the stadium i feel like i'm separated a lot from the game you know not like yeah. uh, it was before 
but you'd have to grow up in that period that we did to to understand how how it was, which is a different feeling. Exactly. Getting exactly. a bloody towel, chin strap, all that, all that, <laughs> all, all those things. You know, you can't get that now. You can't no. get anything. No, no. I got about Martin, twenty-six any- chin straps. <laughs> <laughs> would you have Would you have any advice for a bidding, beginning collector of football cards or mem- sure. football memorabilia? Well, again, like you, like all the collectors have said in your issues and on the radio, is that you have to have a passion for what you like. Um, if you If you don't have that. Uh, or you're a strickling investor, it's a different thing. But if you do have the yeah. passion for it, then you start. Um, it depends on your finances. It's now what you can afford. Uh, and then, of course, if you get lucky and hit a hit a card that's worth worth quite a bit, but you can start pretty cheap and just uh, build it up. But you got to love the sport. You got to you got to like what you're doing, or it's uh, or it's not going to work. You know. And and I, I think true. and I think you can uh, anybody could start. But again, I, I have I have I've met a lot of people who 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 don't care about collecting. They don't care about collecting. And then I'll wonder, well, am I born with it? Is it something we're born with that that we have that that passion in us to do that, or do you develop that over time? And I think I'm born with it. Because I got five children, and none of them care to collect uh, antiques or collectibles, baseball cards. They don't care. And I wonder if it's the time or it's something in our genes. But I think we're born with it. I really do. Good and, question. Uh, yeah, if you have it, if, if, you, if you're interested and you're articulate and you, you care about, you know, um, the photos on the cards, or what? If something has to turn you on, if it doesn't, it's just not going to do it. It's, it's. Uh, you can make a lot of money, I guess, if you put your heart into it, but you have to love it. You have to love it. Very true. Very true. Martin, yeah. what, real quick, uh, tell our audience again how we can get your new book for the king. Okay, it's on Amazon.com, eBay.com, or uh, they can write me. Uh, at mjacobs784 at aol.com and I'm usually put the uh, email address in your Gridiron Grace magazine which is a great magazine I keep thinking Bob that maybe in time you might want to expand to the next generation maybe the you see you do up to I think the 60s or 70s but maybe go into the 80s you might get more readership coming in because People are fading away. I mean, they're, they're, uh, uh, there's people who like the old timers, but geez, they're just getting to yep. be so few yep. of them. You know, yep. like my Macalini well, books are... appealing to 70s, 80s, 90s people. You know, uh, ages. But just the, the thought. Um, the uh, the article wow. on Dub Jones uh, that uh, Dr. Stevenson wrote this past issue uh, was for a longtime subscriber. The Gridiron Greeks magazine. He had asked me about it, and, and Jones has a great story too. And not too many people realize that Bert Jones is his son, and um, that was a great. Yeah, I was shocked too. to read that. You know, I was surprised. You know, preserving, preserving his legacy in football at the same time, also. But I, I hear what you're saying, and uh, it will be coming at some point down the road. But for yeah, now, I want to preserve the history as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank God you, you you have your magazine on the market because there's nothing else like it. And uh, I'd be lost without it. I really look forward to each issue. It's a great magazine. Good, good. Really and I good. appreciate all the work you do for it, too. Martin, we're almost yeah. out of time. Thanks for being on. And uh, I highly recommend your book. I'll be reviewing it for the next issue, the summer issue of Good Iron Greats. Nice oh, I appreciate that, uh, Bob. And nice to meet you, Joe. And uh, thank you. Good. You as well. And I'm sorry I didn't answer your questions in order, but once you get me going, yeah, I just go. Right. I just keep on going. That's okay. Right. <laughs> nice talking to you guys. Okay. Bye bye. That's great. Bye. Martin Jacobs. Joe, we got History. about a minute. We're gonna go into our two-minute warning. Handing off to you. What you pick up on tonight's show? The guy's history, Bob. I, just, I 
what a great what a great guest. When you told me, you know, we you wanted Martin on, I'm like, yes, absolutely. I mean, the guy's just so good. He writes such a good story in Gridiron. I just I, I, I'm always impressed. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've I've known Martin probably for 15 years now, and uh, he never he never ceases to amaze me what he comes up with with his collection, what he writes about, and yeah, you know, he is really preserving the history of the game through his writings. And uh, I I still feel that's important. I do I do understand what he's saying to move it forward to in the 70s and 80s and 90s to a certain degree. And it's hard for me to realize that that 2000 Brady card is over 20 years old. It just yep. shows to me, man, I got old. That's all I got. <laughs> all right, we're yep. almost out of time. If you're not a subscriber to Good Iron Grace Magazine, what are you waiting for? GoodIronGraceMagazine.com. We'll be back with another show. Until then, thanks for listening. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.